Podcast One production. The Health Hacker with Adam McDougall. This is another iteration of Hacking the Hackers. Outside of the normal episodes that we do where we look at a certain topic, in these ones we look at people and how they hack their lives and we pass this knowledge on to you. On this episode we are with Dr Nick Fuller from the Charles Perkins Centre from the Sydney University and is also the author of the Interval Weight Loss book. And Adam, you've known about this guy for quite some time. Yeah, mate. Uh, someone that I certainly uh, look to when I look for advice and smart advice. He's a smart man. And I always say, if it quacks like a duck and walks like a duck, it's a duck. <laughs> and when you're looking for a doctor, number one tip I always tell people, if your doctor's fat and sick, find a new one. Yep. And Dr. Nick certainly looks fit. He's very buffed. He's sitting there in a, a tie, but uh, not only brains, but he's also got the brawn, mate. He lives- but he's in duck egg blue tie, so yeah. that maybe it does tie in nicely. Not only does he talk the talk, he walks the walk. And that's what I appreciate about him. How are you, mate? I'm great. Thanks very much for having me on and a very kind intro. Oh, mate, very well-deserved, mate. Someone that uh, is very uh, smart and also fit themselves, mate. Tell us a little bit about, you know, how you found this passion for for weight loss and obesity. Well, originally it came from a corporate um, background where I was giving the advice behind these television shows that we're watching to help people supposedly lose weight. Um, For our pleasure, while we sit at home on the lounge, I was very disheartened by what I was doing and seeing uh, with these contestants. So I moved into an academic setting. I moved over to the University of Sydney and Royal Prince Alfred Hospital, where I've been lucky enough to be for now about 13, 14 years. So what we do there is we have a clinic where people that are struggling with their weight, they come in. And we're trialling and testing different weight loss treatments to paint a better picture of what weight loss should look like. So in, in that facility, we're seeing a broad range of different people struggling with their weight. And as we know, 70% of the population now are considered overweight or having yeah. obesity. Wow, that's an amazing status at 70% of people. So why are we fatter than ever? Well, I mean, simply put, it was... In the 1980s, when the environment changed, I mean, before that, we were pretty much relatively in a, in a healthy body weight range. Sure, we did start to see an increase in the 50s, but when the 1980s hit, that's when we really saw this real surge in the number of, pe- of people becoming overweight. Um, we used to rely on the homeostatic regulation of our body weight, which means, you know, we get these signals from our stomach to our brain telling us that we're full. And that used to be enough to keep us in a healthy body weight range. But then the environment changed. All of these processed and packaged foods came out. So the hedonic or reward pathway began to override that homeostatic regulation of our body weight. break that down into a process that actually happens? Like, for example, I open said amount of food and I eat it and then what happens? And what happens is this very clever part of the brain lights up called the hypothalamus. Yep. And that is the part of the brain that triggers this pleasure response so that when we go and eat that food, it might be, you know, our burger or our hot chips or whatever food that we all like to go to, we all have these go-to foods, it triggers that addictive-like behaviour. It triggers that reaction every time. So next time you see that food, that clever part of the brain will actually light up, telling you to go back and reach for it again. And this is why... Even if you're with, full, you want to eat it again or eat more absolutely. of it. So you're overeating, ergo, putting on weight. That's it. That's the hedonic or reward pathway kicking in. That's the one that is contributing to the fact that we are now, or more of us, 70% of us are overweight or having, you know, struggling with uh, this condition or disease known as obesity. And obviously, second to that is 
we're not moving. We're leading a very sedentary lifestyle. We drive everywhere. We drive to work. We drive to drop the kids off. We used to walk everywhere. We used to walk on average 15 kilometres per day. So very simply, I mean, you've got a very large change in the environment. Food habits and behaviours have changed and we're definitely not moving like we used to. That's fascinating, isn't it? And I I suppose... Yeah, the, the food pyramid's been bashed around a lot recently. Uh, Dr. Ansel Keys's findings have been questioned somewhat. Bad science is pretty prevalent in society. Food companies can create any sort of research that they want to get the results. Do you think that the the anti-fat, uh, I suppose, movement was a big part of us becoming obese as well, being replaced foods that were high in fat with sugar? Yeah, I mean, that's a really good point. It's definitely contributed to it. One minute, it's don't go anywhere near sugar. The next minute, we're blaming carbs, and that's the scapegoat for yeah. and all the reason for our weight gain. I mean, now we're talking about dairy. That's the new one. Everyone says, don't drink dairy because that's going to cause you to put on weight. And all of these you know, movements or whatever we refer to them as, they're not evidence-based, and they are contributing to the problem. And this is what... Uh, ends up being that new diet that hits the shelves or that new product that you see on the shelves promising, you know, the the weight loss that we're all looking for. So a lot of that mixed messaging from coming from bad science has contributed to the very problem that we see today. Yeah, how do do you cut through all that BS? Because there's so much out there. There's so many... I suppose young people out there on Instagram with their shirts off flexing up and, you know, people look at them and go, well, that's what they're doing, so therefore I'm going to do the same thing. And so many companies out there driven by profit rather than creating a great product. How do consumers, I suppose, protect themselves from these sort of things? Well, it is very hard. And, you know, being a healthcare professional, working with patients on the ground level, you can see their frustration. Uh, At Charles Perkins Centre, we've set up this obesity collective where we're getting all these industry bodies together, government um, uh, government as well, to, to make the right changes and put those in place so that we can get you know, this right messaging out, give people the right education and right have adequate framework and, and supportive environments. Look, I think the most important thing is stop turning to the internet for advice or yeah. looking at social media and following social media influences because, again, they're contributing to the very problem that you're battling with and that, you know, is the battle against the bulge. A lot of these people don't know what they're talking about and their messaging is not evidence-based and it's the last thing you should be following. Yeah, and I, I love your approach. I know that um, yeah, we'll get into the interval weight loss um, method that you've developed, but um, extremism for me is the biggest mistake people make. They say they're going to go on dry July, not drink any alcohol, give up the carbs. They demonise foods. That's probably one of the biggest mistakes people make, isn't it, being extreme? Oh, definitely. I mean, yeah, and that comes back to that new diet that hits the shelves. It, it tells you to take out an entire food or an entire yeah. food group. It's very easy to to lose weight. I mean, if we think about carbs, and that's been a huge move for a long period of time, we're talking about the low carb or the, the ketogenic type high protein movement. Yes, you're going to lose weight, but we know that these behaviours um, aren't sustainable lifelong, and they're going to be setting you up for long-term failure, and you're going to be putting yourself at... Uh, you know, in a worse off position because, yes, you will lose, but you're going to end up putting that weight back on and you're not following healthy behaviours. Now, why? Well, this is the question that we're all talking about now because we have been led to believe for a very long time that it's due to a lack of willpower. Sure, I mean, you, you make a good point in that we follow this extremism. We cut out the carbs or we cut out the sugar then we go back to our old ways 
But that's not the only contributing factor. Sure, we do follow unrealistic eating behaviours, but the most, well, the other second uh, most, most important thing that's going on is our body is fighting that weight loss. Every time you lose weight, it is a huge stress you're imposing on your body and your body is far too smart. It's going to, going to win every single time. What that means is it's going to shut down. Your metabolism is going to lower. Your appetite hormones are going to change. The type of substrate you're burning at rest is going to shift from fat to carbohydrate. Now, what we call these is biological protections. This is leftover from our time as hunter-gatherers. This is due to evolution. So the reason you're failing on your weight loss attempt every time is, yes, you're following unhealthy eating behaviours. Secondly, your body is fighting that weight loss and you're going back to what we've you know, termed this concept known as your set point, that weight that you remember being at for a long period of time and the weight that you rebound to every single time. That's great. And is interval weight loss uh, method, do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Because I think it's genius. Yeah, well, I mean, the, the consistent theme that we found at you know, the University of Sydney in our, in our hospital clinics was it didn't matter what weight loss programs we put them on. It didn't matter what diets we got them to follow. People lost weight. Great. But then every single time when we followed these people up, sadly, they'd put that weight back on. They'd regained all that great work. They'd regained all those kilos. And not only that, most of the time that actually ended up heavier than when they started. So we now know through good science that when you- Like tens of kilos or like one or two? And it doesn't matter. Some people lose 10, some lose two, some lose 20, some lose 50. But every single time it was the same result. They'd lose it and then they would put that weight back on. Then they'd usually put on another kilo- so that your body prepares for that next bout of starvation. Remember, it's very smart. It's always going to win, and it will prepare for that next starvation, that next diet that you're going to impose. We know now that people are following four to five diets every year. They'll go on 61 diets by the age of 45 and spend That's 31 incredible. years of their life dieting. 31 years yeah. of dieting. It's, it's an 61 obsession. 61 diets. It's, it's an obsession. a cultural obsession. Weight loss is an obsession. I mean... We, we, and this is what we were finding. Basically, people, even with in what we were doing in clinics, people, and also it's important to test all these new diets to to actually put some evidence behind them, tell you, you know, tell the population whether they're good or bad. But look, they were following, they're losing, they're putting back on. And this includes all the new whiz-bam fad with, you know, your ketos and your five twos. So what what happened was we tried, started to trial and test new methodologies we knew the reasons why they were putting the weight back on because we can do all of this high-tech imaging and um, testing with patients that come into our clinic. We knew that these biological protections were kicking into gear. We knew their metabolisms were de- decreasing, their appetite hormones would, were increasing or changing when they'd lost the weight. So the only way to, pre- to prevent those, we found, was when you imposed diet breaks along the way. So we would get people to lose a very small amount of weight about two kilos over a month, then we would say, well, hang on, you've got to stop now. You've got to put the brakes on. You've got to take the foot off the accelerator and you have to maintain your weight during that next month before you then go on and lose weight again. And you follow that plan until you got to your goal weight. So the idea is that you're setting your body to a new normal. That's right. You're, you're setting your body to a new set point. So, you know, for, for us here, you know, we've all got different set points. And for everyone we meet, We'll have a different set point. Some at 60 kilos, some it's 120 kilos, but it's that weight 
that you'll remember that you always protect. That is your set point. So the only way to redefine your set point is to actually follow a program where you impose diet breaks along the way so your body can recalibrate at that newer and lowered set point as you progress. When you do that, it doesn't then fight the weight loss. Mm. You don't get those biological protections coming in and kicking into gear. Your metabolism doesn't decrease. Your appetite hormones don't change. How do we know this? We put them through imaging. We put them in high-tech DEXA machines to see what's going on within the body. We take blood, see what's happening to their appetite hormones. So, you know, we've had the ability to be able to test this, but we now need to be able to get a message out that it's not about following continuous weight loss plans because unfortunately you're going to you're going to fail not due to that lack of willpower but because your your body's far smarter smarter than you think this is why you can't succeed by cutting foods or food groups out altogether so we learnt that when you follow a plan and with interval weight loss it's about teaching everyone that it's not cutting foods out or food groups you can enjoy everything and anything sure we need to be able to retrain ourselves so that we go back to what we used to do for nature's treats during our hunter-gatherers time. We used to get that same pleasure response from, you know, foods that we'd, we'd gather in, in, in the field. Those foods that we commonly reach for now, the processed and packaged foods, well, they're triggering the same addictive and pleasure response. But we're just getting that pleasure response from different foods. So interval weight loss is firstly teaching you that you shouldn't cut anything out. Secondly, it's training you so that you can move towards or uh, move away from relying on processed and packaged foods all the time so you still get that same great pleasure response from food because food is enjoyable. By processed and packaged foods, do you mean something as basic as, you know, like processed cheese or something that is has full of more numbers than it is nutrients? Or are you talking about even things like maybe stuff that has nitrates like bacon? Well, we're referring to basically anything that comes out of a packet. And, I mean, a lot of manufacturing um, has meant that we can have – things available on the go all the time. We can go to the convenience machine and we can get them out of the machine. So it's it's think of it something that's not in its raw or natural state. Okay. It tends to have gone through some sort of processing. Well, packaged food, takeaway foods. If we're going to have that hamburger or that pizza, you know, it's Make tri- it yourself. Yeah, make it yourself. But otherwise, if, you, if it's fast food, oft, often it is triggering yeah. that pleasure-like response, that dopamine release in the brain, which is why you're reaching for it again. But you can change that wiring in the brain and the neurons that are firing from you know one to the other so that you can start to reach Great. for nature's treats and retrain yourself to do that as the default. And then the third part of it is that, you know, we've got the whole meal structure the wrong way around. We used to well, we have now for decades, we're waking up, we, we skip breakfast, we might have a coffee and then, you know, work through our day, get home and then reach for that wine and cheese in, in the fridge. Uh, and then we tend to have the majority of our food at the end of the day. So wine for breakfast then? Well, <laughs> if, you, if you wish, I mean, but you've got to have more for focus on, on breakfast. Like yeah. this should be the most important meal of the day. Yeah, how does that work with fasting though? Because Adam and I talk a lot about fasting and having an eating window. Yeah, and a different diets work for different yeah. people. Look, there's no doubt about that. And some people succeed, well, people succeed on all different type of diets, but the, there is that common theme that fewer than 5% are succeeding on their weight loss journey lifelong. And that's what we need to address because otherwise they're losing and regaining. And even if you want to talk about intermittent fasting, you're 16-8, you're 5-2. Yeah, sure. Some people do succeed on that. They find it easier to stick to. But on the whole, and what we're addressing, remember, is that 
common scenario where people lose and then they regain. And that's that's the what point. we know. Yeah, and that's what I love about you know, the doctor's stuff is the fact that it's not about extremism. We speak about that all the time. It's about consistency. It's about finding what works for you, but more importantly, developing habits. So I think, you know, the most important thing that Nick's teaching people is about their habits, like setting yourself up to success with breaking the fast of a good breakfast. Like we spoke about earlier, when you have breakfast, that depends on your lifestyle, but making sure that first meal is something that sets you up. And we know from a circadian rhythm point of view, body clock point of view, that if you eat most of your calories earlier in the day, your body's ability to partition them calories into muscles and into being burned off is much more effective. But for some people, you know, they don't necessarily want to eat in the morning, So, but then try and have a bigger lunch. So it's what's finding works for you. Wouldn't you agree, doctor? Yeah, definitely. And again, it comes back to that dietary approach. Different diets or approaches work for different people. Do what works for you. But we do know as well that science shows that people have who have breakfast and have breakfast as their largest meal of the day are better at managing their weight. It sets you up for success throughout the entire day, not from just a physical perspective weight management, but also mental outlook on life. So do breakfast like breakfast, a king. Breakfast like a king. But then that's that's the next thing. If you're going to have breakfast like the king, like you should with the interval weight loss plan. Yeah, have the right breakfast. Have the right breakfast. And also you've got to taper off during the day. Dinner yep. then becomes the least important meal of the day from a portion size perspective. It's the most important from a cultural and social mm. perspective. It's a time that we, you know, if we can and we, we have loved ones around us, we sit down and we talk about different things with them away from technology. But in, with respect to portion size, it should be the smallest meal. We're telling people to sit down to a bread and butter size plate or a, or a rice size bowl and eat with chopsticks. It'll certainly slow you down <laughs> and it'll make you appreciate what you're eating. And you'll also start to recognize those signals that are being sent from your stomach to your brain telling you that you're full. So, you know, the whole meal orientation, it needs to change where at the moment skipping meals, we then overeat at the end of the day or we we go and reach for anything we can get our hands on and it often is those foods uh, processed and packaged that are around us. And that's the other great thing that he talks about is that moderate approach to start with because where do you go when you go extreme? So all of a sudden your metabolism, where does it go? So all of a sudden you cut out carbohydrates or you don't drink any alcohol. Mm. So yes, you're going to lose some weight early on. But then where does your metabolism have the flexibility to improve later on? And that's the genius about this program is the fact that, yes, you go on a, a period where you lose weight and then we go into a maintenance phase, then you go back into that, that lifestyle phase that allows you to lose more weight. But it's about giving yourself room to move and improve. That's where people make a big mistake, in my opinion, is it's an all or nothing approach for a few weeks. <laughs> they fall off the bandwagon mm. and then they overindulge and then they're back to square one. So. We're constantly now being aroused with social media, watching TV, being bombarded with stimulus. We're burning more calories with the brain and that's craving more of these sugary foods. So setting up these environments to succeed is really important. So then what happens after we start to lose that initial weight from a balanced diet, eating breakfast, largest meal, and then tapering off towards the end of the day? When we get into that period, like you said, of letting your body adjust to that new normal, I suppose was my phrasing, but that period where you just have a break for a while. What's happening there? Yeah, so you do have to be a bit stricter during weight loss period uh, and, you know, you can incorporate different methodologies to make sure you are losing a small amount of weight during that weight loss month. The way you know is you track your body weight. You just do it once a week. You get on the same scale, same time and day each week and you monitor the trend over time. So we're, we're prescribing just a small amount of weight because we know that you know, the two to three kilos is clinically significant 
And that's the weight. Really? Yeah, that's it. That's the weight. If you can keep that off, it is though, Mm. because that will decrease your risk of all of those other lifestyle diseases by huge amounts. So, yeah, I mean, jump in there, Nick. You'd know the stats better than me, but a 5% reduction in your weight loss decreases your chance of things like cancer, stroke, heart Mm. disease by nearly up to 50%. That's right. Just 5% of your body weight. So, that's why I say to people, don't go team extreme. If you can lose, like you said, two to three kilos, imagine the the decrease in some of these risk factors. So, yeah, I used to be 115. So, um, what? Yeah. <laughs> perfect, quite, perfect quite example. Late. It's gone down. <laughs> Wonderful. So, and what you do then is once you've lost that small amount of weight, like we said, you've got to put the brake on. So you can relax. You can have a few more more of those treats or takeaway mm. foods that you might have had to, you know, reduce during the weight loss month. Um, importantly, you haven't cut anything out. So you can, you know, have, be a little lax during that weight month period. You can probably ease off on the exercise that you're doing because the most important thing here is you have to maintain. You cannot let the weight keep going down on the scales because if you do, you'll always get the same result that you always got and that was that weight loss followed by weight regain. So How long you, are we talking between sections here? So we're talking about a month, a month on, month on month a month off. off, month on, month off. And so that allows you to lose the 12 kilos over a year which is great because, you know, often we lose 10 kilos in a couple of months, but then we put 13 or 14 back on just as quick. Got it. So we lose the 12 over over a year, but, you know, people that need to lose the 30 or the 40 or the 50 kilos, fine, they still succeed. They just have to follow the plan for longer. Mm. When you get to your goal weight that is realistic, your new set point, your body's now not fighting that weight loss, remember? And then all you need to do is keep implementing that interval weight loss lifestyle, but you don't have to worry about the weight loss months. You're implementing all those good healthy habits you've you picked up along the way that have become ingrained in your new identity. You don't have to worry about, you keep monitoring your weight, but you're definitely not worrying about further weight loss. It's a common thing in life, isn't it? Is that the fact that things that work well for the long term are the beige, boring, <laughs> compound interest earning types of approaches. It's not the get rich quick well, that's metaphor, it. right? We're looking it's for the, the quick fix all the time, so aren't we? This is the yeah. long term. And that's what Adam and I struggle. I play the role of the audience in this thing. I've been through it myself where I think, you know, like this, all this stuff's really exciting. But then I think about like what is the thing that's going to be the the life diet that I do. And I assume this is your angle that you guys are looking for. What is actually achievable for a society to be healthier and happier for the rest of your life? That's right, because we've been trying this diet mentality for decades. We are getting the same result all the time. This is why we keep trying another diet every year. This is why we go back and we try four to five diets every year, remember, We'll keep trying the new one that hits the shelves all the time. Look, you've got to be willing to change. You've got to change that current identity of who you are and you need to instigate behavioural change and a new lifestyle. But we're not saying you have to go and wipe everything out and do this extremism type approach because we know that's the worst thing you can do. You'll get short-term success for long-term pain. You can cut the foods out for a certain period of time, but after two to three months, typically, you're then going to reintroduce, but you're also going to have your body fighting that weight loss. The Health Hacker with Adam McDougall. Uh, Dr. Nick Fuller, we're talking to you about all types of diets, but really it's about what's going to work for you in the long run. And Adam, I know on this show we talk about every type of diet because that's what we want to do. People find what works for them, but then also, as we've now starting to find out, maybe it won't work as long term if you're having extreme results. And I know you've got thoughts about the keto diet. Well, I just think it's all diets. I think people now have become so 
compelled to feeling part of a tribe because we're don't have that social connection as much anymore, particularly with mobile phones and whatnot. You want to feel like you're part of something and giving yourself a label, like I'm a, a vegan, so I'm a ketogenic follower. It allows you to feel a sense of belonging. But like Dr. Nick alluded to earlier, where do you go when these diets have run their use-by date? So you go on a ketogenic diet, all of a sudden you're trying to change your body's energy system from a carb-burning predominant energy system to a fat-burning one, and then the body gets smart and goes, well, hang on, there's no more carbs anymore, now I'm going to hold on to fat and you become fatter, you get these little pot bellies, people get a cortisol reaction from ketogenic diets and I'm going to get people sledging me on social media for, I suppose, bad mouthing ketogenic diet. It has its place for some people. But, you know, we know long-term that these things are unsustainable. What's your thought on something like the ketogenic diet? Well, I was just going to say that's okay, mate, because they sledge me too. But, <laughs> I mean, it, I think the most important thing is we're just educating the population on all of these different approaches. And yes, they are. Some are going to work, yeah. like the fasting approaches. Um, some will even succeed on the ketogenic. But often you find too that those that do succeed lifelong haven't, haven't actually implemented the real principles behind the diet. They've called it that or termed it that, but it's not often the case that they're following it strictly. They've changed their lifestyle and that's why they've kept the weight off. So they might have used it as like a shock to the system to drop the initial weight and then relaxed a bit and then started just realising maybe yeah, I don't need to do all that crap. That's right. I mean, it, it depends on the individual. Some people don't really understand what diet they're following. They think they're following a keto or a low carb. Or, but then when you look into the nitty gritty detail of it, they're not. <laughs> I mean, look, the ketogenic diet is definitely the next fad that's on the shelves. Mm. This is the one we're talking about all the time. That and 5-2, or otherwise known as the fast diet. Yeah. But look, it is no better than any of these other diets. You're going to get exactly the same response. You're going to fail 95% of the time. You know, fewer than 5%, remember, are going to succeed. And even if they do, they're probably not following the true principles of a ketogenic diet. They've actually changed their lifestyle for the better. So when it comes down to it, it's the new fad that hits the shells. There's a fascinating report that comes out every year, and it's issued by the U.S. News and World Health Report. It's a leading group of professionals that get together that basically rank all of these diets. Now, interestingly, every year when they release this report, the bottom diets or the bottom ranked diets in the bottom 10 are always those ones we're talking about. This year, do you know what the, the, the worst diet or um, yeah, the, the, what appeared in that bottom 10? Well, it was the ketogenic diet. That was the worst diet of 2018 when you looked at the safety, the ease of following, importantly, the evidence behind it and other things too, like the weight loss that you're getting from it. So look, that says enough for where the ketogenic diet currently stands. It was ranked the worst diet on an objective scoring matrix by these leading healthcare professionals in the US. But the other diets that appeared in there, well, the paleo diet appeared there. The 5-2 diet appeared there. So these diets that we contribute success to is due to endorsements by social media sensations or big name celebrities. So they're not often, um, you know, the thing that we should be following and often the worst thing we should be doing for our health. Yeah, Not evidence-based. This is the problem. They're not evidence-based. I know science takes a long time, usually a catch-up to you know, a lot of the practical applications of what's happening. But the thing that I've got the biggest gripe with a lot of these diets is the fact that when you look at a ketogenic diet, eating a low-carb-based diet, you know, and getting your carbohydrates from good sources is really, you know, what 
makes the diet a good diet and being aware of what you're putting in your mouth. What I have a big problem with is when all of a sudden people then introduce exogenous type of things to aid these diets, like exogenous ketones, or they start putting tubs of butter in their coffee, or they start pouring coconut oil, you know, over all, all things that go in their mouth. So not only are some of these diets too hard to follow long-term, but the real danger is some of these fat add-ons. Definitely. You know, like the body, you know, when we were trying to emulate what our cavemen did, when they were roaming, you know, the earth back in the day, they didn't pull out bulletproof coffee with put some butter in it <laughs> or have coconut oil in their and pockets. And they certainly didn't pull out ketone yeah, jellies. Yeah, ketones. The, you know, <laughs> yeah, know, that's an energy. That's a source of energy. stuff now. It's delicious. So what do you, you know? Well, like- it's to make money and that's the thing and that's the, that's the danger we're putting people in. It's, it's great to, you know, look at a diet, but what is also, what's the baggage that comes with a lot of these diets? And that's what we need to be careful of more so than anything else. It's great that, you know, you're eliminating packaged foods when you follow a paleo diet. You're eating more real foods, but that's where the success in these diets really stems from awareness and the fact that you're eating more real foods. Would Definitely. you agree? 100%. You've got to be committed to lifestyle change. We all have this current identity, and unless you're willing to find that new identity and go into that new way of life and new self, you're not going to succeed. Secondly, you can't follow a continuous weight loss plan because you will get that typical V-shaped uh, response. You lose, you regain. Um, so when you go and impose a weight loss or, or caloric restriction or, you know, some sort of attempt to lose weight, you need to impose diet breaks along the way. So what was in the top of the list that the doctors found were the most successful well, diets? These are ones that you use, which is just balanced eating, I assume? Yeah, so surprisingly to all, I mean, it's it's a no-brainer. It's ones that are high in fruits and vegetables, whole grain breads and cereals, your lean meats, your fish. It's, it's they're you know, usually Mediterranean co- style. Yeah, so that's yeah. it. It's, Don't it's, say cereal in front of it's Adam. The me- <laughs> you know what? You mean in the good top- cereal, not sugary cereal. Yeah, well, I mean, Mediterranean diet and the DASH diet, the mm. dietary approaches to stop head- hypertension. I mean, it's about reducing oh, salt. What's that? Well, DASH diet's a great diet. Yeah, well, I mean, it's basically, uh, it's, it's basically just getting the salt down in your body, which is just eliminating processed and packaged foods. Mm, yeah. right. Mediterranean diet's about more fruit, vegetables, nuts, seeds, olive oil. Yep. These are just healthy eating patterns. You know, often they're commercialized into a product or a diet. Yep. But yes, some of these diets are definitely better. And this Go is why they're ranking. The beige Volvo. Oh, that's it. That's why it's they're the ranking up interest. the top. This is why these people live a lot longer and why they're less likely to be battling, you know, the waistline. And you think in the 80s too, we, we've seen, I suppose, the explosion of a lot of these food companies with big marketing budgets and they've influenced our behaviour as a result of being able to market to us. And we're seeing it more and more so of our kids, which I'm scared to death of. Um, but the the cereal companies and stuff, why are we being conditioned to believe that we should start our day just with a big bowl of carbohydrates? What do you think that's all about? Well, it's pretty crazy that, you know, we've been brainwashed to think we have to sit down to, a, to processed food anyway. I mean, you need to start thinking, look, if it's coming out of a packet, um, it's going to not fill you up for a long period of time. It's going to be very low in nutrition and you need to go back again to nature's treats. What is in that raw form? You should be having, you know, again, breakfast is one of your largest and most important meals a day. But, yeah, you don't need to be sitting down and, and thinking, oh, it's just got to be um, the eggs without the bread. It's got to be a balanced meal and it's got to be definitely nutritious. 
And fruit, a lot of people demonise fruit, and I know that, you know, that's something you love to eat. Oh, definitely. It's my go-to food. I mean, it's one of my favourite, if not favourite, healthy food, and people think, oh, really? But you remember, you're getting the same pleasure response from these foods. When I eat fruit, I get that release in the brain. I get that same release when I go and have the Mars bar, but I know what's better for me. Sure, I love the occasional Mars bar too, but that's not part of my interval weight loss lifestyle that I lead. So... You need to definitely identify that all of these foods play a role in our diet, but some only should appear occasionally and others should be part of your day-to-day eating plan. And juices, I I laugh a lot of the time people go and buy these juices and they've got more sugar than Coke in them, but um, some people think juices are good for them. Yeah, I mean, you have a glass of juice, you've squeezed nearly eight oranges. You've got to eat the orange for what it is. (laughs) That's where you're getting all the goodness and all the fibre. You're taking all the goodness out when you squeeze it and, you know, to answer your question properly about fruit, they're natural sugars. Yeah. When you eat fruit, you're getting natural sugars. You're not getting added sugars. It's one of the best foods that you should be including in your, your daily eating plan. When you go and follow diets like ketogenic, they're demonizing foods like fruits. They're telling you that they're bad for you, and this is absolute rubbish. Like eggs. Eggs is another one. People demonized eggs for a long time, said they're high in cholesterol. But I, I use the analogy that um, blueberries, when you eat blueberries, you don't turn blue. Yeah, well, so, you know, <laughs> a very good way to look at it. And, you know, that's the problem. People are so confused, aren't they? They're, all these foods have been demonized and all this extreme approachism yeah. to, to health. So how, how's your um, lifestyle? Because you're very fit. So what's your real passion? I suppose, what's your hack with fitness, mate? Because obviously a big part of it's exercise. Yeah, it is. It's getting outdoors and exercising every day. So we all have time poor lives these days and you need to plan accordingly. You need to plan for the week. I know that if I'm busy throughout that week in the afternoon, then I'll do my exercise in the morning. But the first thing that goes in the calendar every single week is exercise. It goes in whether it's morning lunch or dinner. And I make sure that that's there and that's done. I work obviously around that work commitments, family, home life. But if you don't get your exercise in, everything else starts to suffer. Your sleep will suffer. Your eating habits and eating behaviors will also suffer. So, you know, you don't do the same thing all the time. And exercise is not always enjoyable. Sometimes you need to get out and you need to raise a sweat. Do it with other friends and and buddies if you can too. You get that social connection and reward from that. But importantly, do stuff that you enjoy. And you like high-intensity exercise and you like that social accountability, doing it with a group and doing it outdoors. So there's free hacks there as well. Straight away, you're in the outdoors getting vitamin D. You're in the natural environment. Nick likes to run with no shoes on, barefoot running. Loves barefoot running. Earthing. He also likes to have that social connection because that obviously builds compliance. And he likes to do the high-intensity stuff, sprinting and moving fast like our ancestors did. Yeah, definitely. And sometimes you might just – you've got to listen to your body too. Sometimes you wake up and you're like, you just go for a slow stroll – or a swim in the local pool doesn't always have to be high intensity, but that's what I love and everyone has their go-to. Do sports and activities you enjoy. And um, diet-wise, you know, you've got some little hacks there that you, you apply for your own life. Yeah, well, I definitely, you know, follow and implement, practice and preach that interval weight loss approach. Yep. You know, it's I'm following and, and living and breathing this science all the time. Breakfast is my most important meal. I will sit down and that is always the largest and biggest meal. Sometimes I have two breakfasts. But I do taper off throughout the day. Lunch is then the next biggest meal, and then dinner is the smallest meal. What we have for dinner normally? So, it, you know, it might be some salmon um, with some vegetables, but yep. it'll also have a bit of rice on there too. It's a balanced meal that has all of the macronutrients. It's not uh, singling out certain foods. I'm making sure that every meal has all of them. It has the fat, it has the carbohydrate, and it has the protein. And look, you can also in- enjoy alcohol for what it is. It, you just don't – you need to – 
carefully monitor the, the consumption. We tend to, especially in the Australian culture, binge these days, but alcohol should still be part of your daily eating or f- uh, food plan um, so that you enjoy life for what it is. So how much alcohol on a daily basis? Yeah, two well, standard I mean, drinks? We know that, yeah, males can have uh, up to two standard drinks, which yep. tends to be about a self-pour glass, yep. and females a standard, gla- standard drink. So, you know, half to three quarters of our current self-pour because we tend to pour them quite big and we use quite big glasses. And if you are going to snack, what, what sort of things do you snack oh, on? Oh, I love, I love nuts, yep. seeds, um, I love fruit. Um, they're definitely the go-to options all the time. But, you know, sometimes you just cut up a bit of vegetable, have that with a bit of hummus or some beetroot dip or things that, like that that I like to make at home as well. And sleep, we, we talk about weight loss. You know, a lot of people, I, I like to use the analogy, if you're going to fill up the glass as such, don't try and find the sand, find the big rocks that fill that glass up. Sleep, when it comes to weight loss, is something that's huge, isn't it? And stress. People don't realise the importance of that to actually being successful with weight loss. Yeah, sleep is one of the biggest players in weight management. Now, again, I go back to the exercise. If you haven't done your exercise, your sleep is probably going to suffer. So make sure you get that in and start to get that in every day. You only have to look, get in 30 minutes, um, and it's recommended 30 minutes, five days a week, but really you should try and do every day. Yep. And then secondly, it's about the quality. Look, in the time-poor environment that we lead, sometimes it's not practical to always get eight hours but look, you've got to try and at least get six hours. And if you can get six to seven quality hours, you're going to feel great. That's better than having eight hours of laying in bed, disrupted, poor sleep. So go for quality rather than quantity and exercise is going to contribute to that. The other way to fall asleep is by turning off technology before you go to sleep. So no blue light after twilight. Get away from the phone, turn it off. Get away from the screens because it's only going to affect the time it takes to get to sleep. Can you expand also on why sleep plays such a big role? We spoke about it earlier, but people beat themselves up and make themselves feel bad about themselves because they think they're lazy, they lack willpower, but we know our hormones are working against us. Our natural DNA was never built to exercise. It was never built to not under-eat. We, we caught something, we, we had to eat it because we didn't know when the next meal was going to happen. So people beat themselves up, but they don't realise when they're not getting enough sleep how their hormones then start to work against them. Can you explain things like ghrelin and leptin and how that's affected by a lack of sleep? Yeah, so the ghrelin and and leptin, I mean, what we refer to these as are basically appetite hormones or hormones that regulate how much we should be eating. Now, sleep falls into your circadian rhythm and we know that even shift workers find it harder to, to manage their weight because you're actually disrupting that circadian rhythm. But... Look, if you have poor sleep and you're not getting enough sleep, it's going to put everything out of whack. It is going to change uh, a lot of these biological protections that are in place in your body. It's going to change how your appetite signaling works. It's going to change your mental clarity and how you feel throughout the day, which then influences things like your eating behaviours or eating eating patterns or what you're going to prefer to reach for. So look, sleep doesn't change overnight you have to persist with it. It takes 61 days to change a behaviour. So don't think that you go and exercise today that your sleep's going to be improved tonight. Unfortunately, it's probably not going to happen that quick. You've got to persist with something for at least two months, 61 days. This goes with your weight loss attempt as well so that you can instill and, and initiate a lifestyle change that will eventually you know, kick into gear and you, your sleep will eventually improve. Do you have any bedtime rituals or habits that you uh, apply yourself? The number one is definitely the phone goes on to aeroplane mode. You yep. just turn it off. You don't take it anywhere near the bedroom. You should never have any technology in there. You should never have a TV in there, <laughs> or any computer screens. It's, it's absolute madness if you do. And the first thing you should do is get it out of that bedroom 
and leave it outside in the lounge room. So I that's the that. most effective Love that hack. hack. I always say to people, if you want to get lucky, get rid of the TV. Research showed in Italy that you're 53% less likely to get lucky if you've got a TV in your room. So my it's, missus it's has a good put two stat. in the room. <laughs> 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 and the other hacks, mate, that you like to apply to help you get to sleep? Uh, well, I mean... Say some people prefer to exercise just before they go to sleep because they, you know, it helps them fall asleep quicker. Look, if you want to go for a stroll after dinner and you have the time, it's another great little hack you can put into place. But it's not always practical for everyone. If you can, it's another good tip. Awesome. Uh, Dr. Nick Fuller, plan for the week was one of your big hacks there. When you've got a busy week in the evenings, maybe you've got exercise in the morning that time. Work around your schedule so the exercise doesn't lack. And on that, exercise should be at least 30 minutes every day if you can. Take 61 days to create a habit, so you've got to stick to it. And sticking to it is the aim of the game with your interval weight loss, which you are the author of, uh, and you're from the University of Sydney, and you've really researched this really well. And I don't sort of, you know, try and make light of it, but it is, it's the slow, boring, smart thing that will set you up for the long run. And I do like the irony in the fact that your name is Dr. Nick Fuller, Fuller for longer with your <laughs> there, diet. There I are assume. often comments about that. <laughs> yeah. And I just wanted to say one other thing. Interval Weight Loss for Life was released just this year as well, which is the sequel to Interval Weight Loss. It's designed to be that practical guide to your interval weight loss journey so that you don't have to go into a hospital clinic to succeed. You don't need to see healthcare professionals to succeed. The interval weight loss for life, the blue cover is basically your guide in the palm of your hands, which you can take around with you everywhere, and it will allow you to instigate that that lifestyle change so you can set yourself up for lifelong success. For more information about Adam McDougall, head to adammcdougall.com.au, themanshake.com.au, and intervalweightloss.com.au to find out about Dr. Nick Fuller. Mate, thanks again. Thank you very much. It was great fun. The Health Hacker with Adam McDougall is recorded in the studios of Podcast One. Produced by Alex Mitchell. Audio production by Nick Slater. Executive producer is Jamie Show. For more episodes, head to podcastone.com.au or download the Podcast One app.